Hi, welcome to Sustain Talks. Today I'm joined by Matt Phelan, co-founder of the Happiness Index, a SaaS platform that helps HR and people professionals measure their team's happiness and engagement. He's also an author and has just released his latest book, also titled The Happiness Index. I'm delighted to have you here today, Matt. I'm looking forward to this conversation. Happiness, it's a big thing. And uh, I think everyone needs to learn a bit more about it today. Um, how are you? I'm good, Sam. You, you'd have thought we could have come up with a more creative name than The Happiness Index, <laughs> wouldn't you? <laughs> No, I think it, it says what it does on the tin. And, uh, you know, I I really do think at the moment everybody is in a time where they need to understand happiness a little bit more and how they get there. And especially for companies where their employees are probably struggling. But look, let's start with how you started all this and where this came about. Um, yeah, so thanks, Sam. Thanks for having me on. Um, it's a pleasure to be here. The I suppose my my starting point was I started I worked with animals before I worked with human beings. Um, and when I got to work, I just felt like it was the weirdest place I'd ever been. And, and, and what I mean by that is animals are really good at sharing how they feel. Like if your cat's if your cat's hungry, it lets you know if your dog wants to go for a walk. It lets you know but as human beings and we think we're all, all like super sophisticated we're not actually very good at sharing what how we're feeling and what we need at work um, and I think it's sort of all I think the reason behind that is we have this like weird tag around professionalism about what's professional and what's not and professionalism is important in, in certain areas but that was my sort of starting point and then I, I started a marketing agency, which we, we, we grew and we sold it. Uh, it was successful and all that kind of stuff. But the first time you're like running a business and you're managing leading people, it's really difficult. And it's really hard. And we, we had a saying, which is our customers don't come first. Our employees come first. Um, it's, it's an old Richard Branson quote. And our view was if we looked after employees, they would look after the customers and we would grow. But because we were data people and we were working in, in customer data, we started to question that. Like, is that right? Is that, a, is that the right business strategy? Um, not because we didn't want to do it, but because we were data people. So there was a saying in marketing that 50% of our marketing works. I just don't know what 50%. And, and things like analytics changed that. But what we realized is the world of like HR and so on didn't have that, didn't have that data to help. Um, and so long story short, we built the happiness index as an internal tool. We sold the marketing agency and then we reinvested the money into the happiness index to, to, to grow it around the world as it, as it is today. So <laughs> bit of a long story there, Sam, but that's, that's kind of how we, that's how we got going. No. And I love that story about, you know, uh, animals, uh, they, they do show their feelings. I've got a cat and, um, she certainly lets me know when she's hungry and it's, you're right. It's really hard for people and employees to um to communicate in the right way and especially with HR departments um but the happiness uh, index focuses on measuring employee happiness how did you come to realize that employee um, the importance of employee happiness in the workplace and what benefits have you seen in organizations that really prioritize it have you got some examples of seeing that yeah so we, we 
we wouldn't we didn't build a tool because we just wanted to build a tool we built a tool because what was out there didn't help what we needed to do so our rudimentary view was employees when they go down the pub or they go for a walk or they see their friends at the weekend they don't talk about how engaged they are at work like that's the term employee engagement like are you engaged but if you just like go go somewhere and listen at the weekend, people are not talking about whether they're engaged at work. That is a, a term coined by Bill Kahn, someone I've had on my podcast, brilliant academic who um, understood that people needed to be engaged at work. But that's what the company wants. The company want you to be engaged and that's half of the story. But you want to be happy and in, to enjoy your work. Now, it's not to say one is more important than the other, because we'll get to the business case of happiness in a bit. But um, actually, if you can have both in your work, it, you can be engaged. And, and when we talk about employee engagement, we talk about what your brain needs. When we talk about employee happiness, we talk about what your heart needs. Now, sometimes people think the heart bit is, is fluffy. But when you start to look at all the data around why people leave an organisation or why they're not motivated to come to work, or why they don't um, collaborate with their um, colleagues. These things about not engaging with people's emotions actually cost companies millions and millions and billions of pounds all across the world. So that's what we wanted to understand. Now we work with com com companies in all different countries where they're measuring how their people feel. And once you know how your people feel, that is a, a, a level of an emotional intelligence. Because if your company is less than 25 people, I believe you should have the skills to be able to know how roughly how people are feeling. But once your company gets above 100, 200, 300, 400 people, starts, you don't know everyone's names. You don't necessarily know everyone that well. So you need a bit of help. Um, and that's what the Happiness Index does. It's a dashboard, HRs, CEOs log in, and it tells how their people are anonymously, how they're thinking and feeling, because there's a power dynamic. No matter how chilled out you think you are as a leader or a manager, you still have responsibility and power over those individuals for wages, promotions, whether they keep their job. So no matter how open door you say you are as a CEO, if you go around the office today and ask your employees how they feel, they're going to give you a filtered view. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so are there what in your findings from doing this, then are there like some real insights that you've found in most companies across the board, this is their biggest issue and this is why people leave. Yeah, so even if you have a twin, have you got a twin, Sam? Have I got? Have you got a twin, a twin I've at all? I've got twin nephews. <laughs> okay, okay. Are they identical? Yes. Okay, do they have different personalities? Yes. Yeah, so that's the, right, that's the key point. Even if you're twins or brothers and sisters or colleagues, you're all different. So never forget that every individual is different and has different needs. Uh, even your nephews, they are they although they have the same DNA or however it works. I don't uh, I, I don't know exactly how that works, but they will be different. That's that's why I asked that question. And I didn't know that. By the way, we didn't plan that. I didn't know Sam, <laughs> but despite that. We also have universal needs. So what we've discovered is what those universal needs are. 
but each company gets their own data and their own needs are different. Like what a financial legal law firm needs might be different to a catering company, but we still have these universal needs. So in the new book that goes into these universal needs. So I'll give you the top four um, for engagement and the top four for happiness. What would you, what would you like to hear first, Sam, the engagement ones or the happiness ones? Let's start with engagement. Okay. The first one might surprise people because they might think this is a heart thing, meaning and purpose. Often people think meaning and purpose is like the fluffy bit and they go, oh, that's the heart bit, even though the heart bit's not fluffy. Um, if you think about purpose, purpose is direction. Your brain actually needs to know where you're going. That's why people need to know where the company going, what we're trying to achieve so everyone can get behind that. If, if I'd said to you, Sam, let's go, um, let's, let's go, let's go, let's go somewhere for the weekend and have a great time. Let's go on a walking holiday together. But I didn't actually tell you that we were, whether we were going to the Peak District or whether we were going to Wales. Like, it's a simple piece of information that you need to know. That is your direction. Your brain needs that to achieve that simple task. But a company is more complicated than that. It's not just like going on a walking holiday. There's thousands of tasks that need to be done. But if people don't understand the purpose, they can't work in that direction to make sure their tasks are helping achieve the, the goals. The next one, companies get wrong so regularly, which is clarity. So what's the plan? <laughs> what is the plan? Um, personal growth. Um, one of the main reasons people leave organizations is they don't, it's not clear. We see it in our exit data. It's not clear how that individual can progress in that organization. If you're a manager and you're listening now, it's one of your number one jobs to think about the person that reports to you, what's their next step? Because that's what they're thinking about. And if you're not thinking about it, the recruitment agent is going to be thinking about it. That speaks to your employee and you lose them in 18 months. So I would say if someone resigns in your team and you haven't been thinking about what their next career steps are, then you've got to take responsibility for that yourself. It's easy to blame the employee when they've left or whatever, um, but make sure they know. And, and, and then people still may leave because you might not be able to cater for that. So yeah. If you're, a, if you're a, um, a bank company and that person wants to be an astronaut, you probably can't cater for that. But that's cool. That's life. That's what happens. But if you're a banking company and the person wants to be a senior bank manager and you haven't shown them how they can get there, then that's, that's, that's your responsibility as a manager. So, Meaning and purpose, clarity, personal growth. And the fourth one is the simplest one, which is enablement. Have you given the team the tools to do the job? Mm. Tools to do the job could be training. could be asking someone to do a customer service role, but you've never trained them on customer service. Yeah. Real simple, basic stuff. So they're the top four that your brain need. Meaning and purpose, we put them there in one group. Clarity, personal growth, and enablement. So that's engagement. That's what our brains need. We need thousands of factors, Sam. These are just the top four drivers. Um, top four drivers of happiness, um, safety. Do you feel safe at work? You can easily um, take that for granted, but um, that is physical and psychological safety. Um, the next one is acknowledgement. This is the most beautiful part of the data. That's there's two words. It's called thank you. Um, have you actually thanked your team for the effort that they've put in? Like, and I don't mean automating it. I don't mean like automating an email that goes out every Friday saying, oh, thanks. Like it's got to be heartfelt. Um, otherwise, not, otherwise it just becomes like, it becomes transactional. But do you genuinely thank your team when they've done a good job? Um, freedom, 
freedom to take opportunities. If someone sees an opportunity to improve the way that you do customer service, are, are you going to listen to them? Are you going to put their ideas into action if it can make a difference? Um, and the number one driver across all eight factors, the final one is positive relationships. Um, and I find that beautiful as well, because it's a real reminder that we are, we are social beings. And, and let's not mix that with introvert and extroverts. That, that's a different debate. We're all, we're all social beings and we might want to interact in different ways. Someone might want prefer to be a gamer and, and meet people online. Some people might prefer to join a club. Um, that's a different debate. The, the debate we're talking about here is, do we have positive relationships at work? So that's, that's a rundown. I feel a bit like I was doing the charts there, but that's, that's, a, that's a rundown, Sam, of the top eight. Fascinating. And I, you know, when I think about how my career has evolved over the mm -hmm. years, I, I can pick every single part of that. I think the one that really stands out for me is meaning and purpose. And it's something that, yeah. you know, it's why I'm doing what I do today um, yeah. rather than the career I had working for a large corporate. It was because I couldn't find meaning and purpose in those jobs. Yeah. And, you know, I think a lot of people have, have you seen a change like post COVID that the before COVID meaning and purpose wasn't as important as it is now? It's a good it's a good question. I don't think there's been a drastic change. I think one thing we did see engagement stayed about engagement stayed quite similar in the pandemic. Happiness dropped massively. And then you then we saw the great resignation. So I don't think companies were catering. The, the four areas that I don't think people were catering for was safety, freedom, relationships and acknowledgement. But it is. It has been a great awakening for people. People have reviewed what they do and how they do it. Um, so I do the school run every day in the morning. I didn't do that pre-pandemic, but now that I've done it, I'm never going to give it up. Yeah. I do my job at the Happiness Index, and let's say for whatever reason I didn't do that tomorrow, and I was working somewhere else, and I was interviewed. I wouldn't. I. I just couldn't work somewhere where I couldn't do that now. Yeah. So I've changed. Um, our head of neuroscience, Clive, always says that we've all, we all change from yesterday. So it will be a shock that we haven't changed, but our universal needs are still there. Um, and companies still can meet, meet those needs. So they can fit all of these aids. It just takes a bit of time and effort and, and want to want to provide these things at work for people. Yeah. What, what, what have you found with the, you know, with the hybrid model that or with people working from home? Happier or less happier? I think I think it's a bit of a um, distraction from the real debate around what people want, which is flexibility. So some people like to work in an office. Some people like to work from home. Some people like hybrid. I personally, I like a bit of a mix of both. Um, but really what people want is that flexibility. So even on a day when I go to the office, I still do the school run, but I have that flexibility I'll often do like a little, it sounds a bit crazy, but I'll often do about, about a half an hour of like little like checking emails, like messaging Sam saying, oh, can we start 15 minutes later on the podcast and stuff like that. I might do that between like when I wake up and I've had my shower before the kids get up. But it's not like, it's not like I'm suddenly like, oh, this hustle culture person who's starting at 6.30. I just do half an hour of a little bit of admin and then... I'm not working between 8.30 and 9.30 normally because I'm on the school run. But it, it's that flexibility to do it like that. Um, 
and that flexibility is probably the most important thing that people want um and it this whole office debate sort of distracts from the flexibility piece because if you're a security guard right you and you have to be on a checkpoint you can't not be on the checkpoint at that time because you've got to be on the school run but can you swap the shift with the other security guards without having to go through 15 layers of management and approval? Do you have the flexibility to phone up your colleague, Lisa, and say, Lisa, do you mind if we swap our shifts around? Um, because I need to go and uh, pick and go and look at school um, and so on. So um, we see it in the data, but I think the flexibility is the bit, the bit that actually comes out more stronger. Yeah, I, I do. And, you know, I remember I'm talking like five or six years ago, I was in a really, really, really senior position. And yet I still had to let my boss know if I was going to be five minutes late or I, you know, if I it was an hour for lunch and it was really strict and I never used to really have lunch or, you know, little check ins or if I had to have a doctor's appointment and wanted to work from home they would you know it would be oh you're gonna have to take the day off so though that really really has changed and I guess helped people I still think though that I mean I work from home on my own and I really really miss being um in that office environment for that social part um and I think a lot of people uh probably struggle with that for me the hybrid version is is the best option because you get a bit of both but um it's still a massive change to your life when you're you know when you have that flexibility of working from home whether it is putting a wash on because the sun's shining or it is going to the doctors or going to support your elderly mother or whatever it is but um are you seeing like different cultures and you do this all over the world so are you seeing different cultures have different responses depending where they are yeah totally it's 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 different cultures but probably the most dominant thing is the is the leadership team that of that company yeah because you do you absolutely do get cultural differences like in uh, america one of the top drivers is clarity sorry in the usa one of the top drivers clarity but one of the top but it's very different to what it is in Canada, where it's acknowledgement. And what I what I find fascinating about that is they're so ge- geographically near each other, but you see that massive difference. Um, so you see those differences, but the biggest factor is the actual leadership team and the culture they want to put in place. Um, and it has a huge impact on people um, and what they stand for. Um, more than more than the country or the location because you can take two different leaders with different philosophies on how to run an organization and it massively impacts the people that work there so it really comes down to how much the the leader or the organization want to prioritize their people yeah and um like looking at different examples and the happiness index and the effect that it's had have you seen some examples where you've seen from before you guys went in to after how that company changed and and what those changes were yeah everyone not everyone but a lot of clients when they start working with us they say they they fairly understand what their culture is but 
pretty much every company we ever work with are quite surprised with what they find because you just don't know. And the higher you up, higher you are up in an organization, the more people filter what they tell you. And again, it doesn't matter how open door you are or how switched on to think you are. Once you open up feedback anonymously, you're going to, you're going to find out stuff that you're not aware of. You're going to find out stuff that makes you feel uncomfortable. Um, but the way I look at all these uncomfortable things is everyone in the company already knows that stuff. The only person who doesn't know is you, the leadership team. So do you want to find out about it? And the uncomfortable stuff I always see, it's like, imagine like there's a little fire in the corner of your room now, Sam. If you're aware of it, you can get a little bit of water. You've got a glass of water there. You can splash it on it and, it, and it'll, it'll probably go away. If you ignore the fire, it can burn the whole house down. And that's what happens with all these little, these cultural things. Sometimes people don't want to work with an organization like the Happiness Index because they, a couple of things they think, oh, what, 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 what might we find out? Or it's the wrong time. Now you'll often hear a retailer go, yeah, no, we don't want to do it in the run up to Christmas because everyone's stressed. It's like, well, we work with lots of retailers and the best time to do it is run up to Christmas because if you find out the stuff that's going wrong and you fix it for next Christmas, you can really help your people deliver a better Christmas. <laughs> yeah. but, but there's a natural fear in people that they fear the unknown. The reality is it's never a bad thing to find out stuff that's going on because once you're aware of it, you can do something about it. And the irony of it all your employees already know it because it's how they think. <laughs> it's what they're thinking about. It's what they're talking about on Slack. It's what they're talking about at the, at the alleged water cooler moments. Um, and it's just not being surfaced. And, and that's all something like the Happiness Index does. It gives a safe space for employees to let the leadership team know how they feel so that they can, they can fix this stuff. Uh, and I, you know, I suspect that that, once that's done, one of the biggest issues is not doing enough about it or not doing something about yeah. it. Um, I mentioned you, to you before um, that my friend took her life and yeah. she worked in a very, very large company. And I, even after she took her life, I don't think that her, well, I know for a fact that her department um, and that it was very very toxic and still continues to be toxic and people are leaving and you know uh, actually the CEO of the the company has recently left as well and they responded to me and said oh we're doing this and we're doing that and we've taken on board all of your comments with what happened with your friend but they still didn't so yeah. you know they said they were doing all these things and yeah. they just didn't and I think like I'm interested to know from your point of view how you have something like the happiness index and you go through and you look at this data and I've seen yeah. it in companies that I've worked for before where I've spoken to HR about a situation and they just want to sweep it under the carpet they're like right thanks we know about this situation we're aware of it but there's nothing we can do about it yeah and, and sorry to hear about your friend Sam um it's a really good point and at the beginning point, what we're trying to work out is, are people doing this for a tick box exercise? Um, because some people are like, large companies have to report, I can't remember the exact number, but I think if you've got more than 300 or 400 employees, you actually have to report this at board level now. Um, now, some people are just doing it to tick the box. 
And teams that are doing that are going to fall into that category. Um, and sadly, there are organisations that that is all they want to do, sweep everything under the carpet. And they look at what they think is what they think they're doing is quite often they're thinking of it from a legal perspective. They're thinking, oh, let's sweep this under the carpet because we want this to go away so we don't get sued or this, that or the other. The reality is that though, going back to the fire analogy, these things get bigger. These stories get bigger. You only see it in like all the news stories that break about celebrities. I don't even want to get into any celebrities today. But when you hear about stuff that they've done and you read about organisations that have swept stuff under the carpet, all it does is gets bigger. That fire burns and burns and burns and eventually it can burn the whole place down. And so sadly, there are organisations that won't take it seriously. However, on a positive note, what I do know is there's amazing organisations out there that do want to make this a differentiator. Um, so there are organisations that won't and... I've decided myself to focus on the ones that want to make the changes yeah. um, because we've only got so much energy and finite time. I actually, I actually have a friend that I believe died of cancer because of her stress at work. Um, it's another story for another day. Um, a very, very, very toxic environment. But the problem with culture, that if you think of customer service, Sam, bad, bad customer service is like a punch in the face. If you get punched in the face, it hurts immediately. And the response is immediate. If you get bad customer service and you go in there and it's bad, you just don't go back. And the company learns very quickly. Customers are unhappy because of these reasons. They're not coming back and they fix those problems. The issue with um, like the example of your friend and my friend and, and culture is culture is like a cancer that is killing a company slowly, but people can't see it. And the, and the problem is it happens slowly over a time. Um, and it takes, it takes really brilliant, amazing people. And hopefully some of those are listening to this podcast. It takes people to go, yeah, no, we, we, we want to make a difference and we want to make a change. What I've realized, you can't take a horse to water. There, we've got all the data in the world that shows that happier employees are more productive, sell more, uh, companies make more money, all that, all that stuff. But there are people out there that just won't believe it. So it's better to try and help the people that actually want to go go with it, with the energy um, behind it. So we've we've got much better at not wasting our time on that front. Yeah, I think sometimes you know, even if you're a great CEO and you want to do that, you might have a couple of levels down, some bad eggs that it takes a really long time for you to find out about that. So you don't fix yeah. it quick enough. Um, but, you know, for, for the people that are listening, what would be your number one piece of advice if they're starting on their journey and they're looking at their company and they're saying, you know what, we really want to be a better, more responsible business to our employees. What is the first thing, apart from sign up to the happiness index, but what is the <laughs> and buy your new book, what's the first yeah. piece of advice <laughs> you'd give them? I, the thing is, if you think about what the happiness index does, and you don't need to sign up for us to do what I'm about to explain, the happiness index is just a tool to listen but you don't need the happiness index to do that. If you're listening now and you manage one person or like our biggest clients, you manage 
you're responsible for 400,000 employees. The starting point is just to listen. And, and, and I learned this in my own relationships with my partner, my wife, all this kind of stuff, not to listen to fix immediately. Like sometimes you just need to listen. And that's hard, isn't it? Especially when you're dealing with some of the really difficult situations that we've discussed, like suicide and cancer. But actually just spend a period of time listening. And also say to your employees, well, the first thing we need to do is actually listen. Because when you actually listen, you actually feel it. You actually feel what the problem is. If you're just listening to fix, you're just straight into it. Yeah, we heard about this. Now this is what we're going to do. And these are the new policy we're going to put in place. So that company probably that you were talking about, they probably put maybe a new policy in place, but have they actually felt, have they actually listened and felt what the, what the damage has been done? Probably not. And until you feel something, you can't, that doesn't energize you to change it. So when stuff goes wrong, we want to move quickly, but sometimes I would just say the number one bit of advice, just listen. And that can be, if you just, manage one person, just take them out for a coffee and just listen. Just ask them five or six questions about where they want to go in their life, what's important to them, how their family are, and just just listen. Yeah, I, I think that's such great advice. It reminds me of, um, I don't know if you see it, I, I actually watch clips of it, The Undercover Boss, which... yeah. And they really yeah. get to know people and they really like start understanding what's going on in their company. It's like you want every yeah. single CEO to experience that, to be able. And I always used to think I wish that um, my CEO had spent more time within our departments. I know they're very busy and that they can't, but I, I wish that they knew what was really going on, um, even just from they might have heard it, but to be able to yeah experience it to make those changes and um, i would say i would say i'm sorry i would say yeah the happiness index is is kind of undercover boss at, at scale yeah because obviously it's done for tv isn't it and how yeah. many of those people when the ceo turns up and they just put a hat on everyone kind of probably knows who the ceo is yeah. but um that is that it's that it's you've nailed it there that is that you're that's what emotional intelligence is. That's what data is giving you. It's telling you what's actually going on in this business that you run. Yeah. Um, just to, to finish off, I just want to speak a little bit about the book. I saw your um, unveiling, your unboxing. This oh, it's terrible. It's terrible. <laughs> it was fine. Um, but, um, yeah, tell us about the book. Uh, I guess it's all the, the advice is, is in there, right? Yeah, if we do, if you, just so you know, our private joke that we're talking about on LinkedIn, um, <laughs> one of the team asked me to do an unboxing video, but I'm just not cool. I'm a data, I'm a data guy. I'm a geek, so I've done this unboxing video. Go to my LinkedIn, you can see it. It's absolutely cringe, but um, yeah, leave, if you've listened to this podcast and seen it, leave a comment. Um, but yeah, this is the book, Sam. Um, it's called The Happiness Index, and it's called Why Today's Employee Emotions Equals Tomorrow's Business Success, and it's we've scratched on the surface of those top eight but those top eight are the main chapters so if we just pick out, out of those eight you said meaning and purpose is your is 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 one for you okay so i'll just bring up so meaning and purpose let me check uh, your readers won't have it there but meaning and purpose is uh, chapter nine 
But what that actually means is you'll get a breakdown on everything about it. So like, what is it? Like, what actually is it from a neuroscientific perspective? What um, does it break down into? Um, like, so what makes up meaning and purpose? You'll get um, client case studies on how companies may have scored low on that area. You'll get external research from all around the world and you'll get expert views from people that I've interviewed on it. So just to go into meaning and purpose, um, the, the drivers of meaning and purpose are inspiration, commitment and values. So there's obviously, again, there's thousands of factors within that factor, but it goes, it breaks it down into those three and then it gives you our data on it. It gives you external research. It gives you expert views from practitioners and it gives you like what we've seen from customers. So then I think that allows someone to go, right, okay, if meaning and purpose is something we want to focus on, it gives you all the research and data to go into your organization and go, right, okay, we now we know a bit about it. We can start um, moving the dial in the right direction. Yeah, that's great. I, I look forward to reading it and understanding more about it. And I follow you on multiple platforms. I've been delighted to speak to you. My wish for this is that people listen to this, make the changes that they need to make in their company, follow the happiness index, get into what is going on in their company so that people like my friend don't go through what they went through and, you know, companies have more empathy and understanding of their employees and, yeah. But. Yeah, it's those, it's those stories, Sam, that motivate us. I'll give you an example of a client we work with. They're called Halo Trust. So when we when we set in, our, set in our bedrooms and thought of the idea of the happiness index, we were thinking more technically about it and so on. But it's stories like your friends. We see that story in the data every single day. But six months before, this stuff... And what happened to your friend is a build-up. You see that data. You see people are struggling. But having that information is power because you can start to do something about it. Um, we work for a company called Halo Trust. Their employees clear landmines. So it's just going to another extreme. But when you're happier at work, you're more accurate in your task. It's a tiny bit of the research that gets forgotten, right? If me and you, if I'm not accurate as accurate in my task today, I might say the wrong word on this podcast or send the wrong email or or whatever. It's not the end of the world. But imagine you clear landmines as a job. It's it there's a study, the biggest study in this whole area is in the NHS. If you go into two hospitals exactly the same, the hospital with the unhappier staff has a higher patient mortality rate. Good. Because of all of these factors. Um, so people start on this subject thinking it's about like running around and high-fiving each other. But the more you get into it, well, sorry, what was what we should give your friend a name. What's her name, Sam? Uh, it's Jenny. Jenny. So when these when you start, people think it's like they're running around and high-fiving the happiness. We're not called the high happiness index. It's not all about, that's what sometimes people think. The quicker you get into it, you you see Jenny's story over and over again. But the more data you have, the more chance you've got to stop those types of things. Yeah. And that's that's what it's all about. You know, ESG is a massive 
um, topic right now, and I think it will continue to be that social value, that social responsibility. It fits in with all of it, and companies need to do better. They need to do better on the yep. environment. They need to do better with their social responsibility. And I, you know, I I applaud you. I applaud the work that you you've done. However, you came about it, it is going to do good. And I think that more companies need that in their lives and yeah. to make their to help their employees and to give something back to them. So I really, really appreciate this conversation. Um, I said to you, it has such great meaning to me. And I don't think I could work for a company unless I knew that they had this kind of insight. Yeah, and I'll tell you what, Sam, I suppose the finishing point before just to say goodbye on, which is there's the, the really serious stuff like Jenny's stuff. There's the fact that companies make more money, but I can tell you a really simple, the F word, it's way more fun. Yeah. <laughs> it's much more fun working in a company where people want to be there. And we spend so many hours at work. Like, why would you want to work with a load of people that don't want to be there? So uh, that's my that's my end point. It's much more fun, Sam. Yeah, let's leave this on a happy note. And um, yeah. I, as I say, I appreciate your time. It's really been good to get to know what's going on in the Happiness Index. And good luck with the book. I hope everyone buys it. And thanks for your time, Matt. Thanks, Sam. Bye. <laughs>